Welcome to Daily Living for Christ, 86,400 seconds in a day. Imagine the possibilities of what your life would become if you dedicated an additional 60 seconds each day to walk closer with Christ. Well, that's what we're here for. We are here to partner with you on your journey to drawing closer to Christ. 86,400 seconds. Are you ready? 86,400 seconds. Are you ready to become what Christ has already declared you are? Let's jump in now. All right, so welcome back. Julie kept saying, Donald, Donald, your favorite woman is back on uh, uh, Netflix, your favorite one. I go, honey, who's my favorite woman? She says, well, tidying up. You know, the, the the Japanese woman that basically the spark joy Japanese woman. So as I'm talking to you ladies now, thinking about the mental aspect, I did it mentally and then transitioning that whole concept of if you ever haven't seen it, it's called tidying up on Netflix. It is a woman that basically she goes around and she she teaches you how to simplify or to clean the clutter out of your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technically out of your house is what it is. Her name is Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. So she cleans, she teaches you how to do this. And one of the things that she does, oh my goodness, Holy Spirit, this is getting good. I'm sorry. I just heard where he's taking me. So this is awesome. So he, what she does is she takes all the stuff that's inside of the house and that's in the rooms or whatever it is, she brings it all into one room Mm -hmm. so that you are the individual that's being cleaned out. They can see all the stuff that has been accumulated. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the man in, in Mark chapter three with the withered hand, Think about all the emotional baggage mm-hmm. he had with him because of that hand. Think about all the words that people have said to him because of that hand. Think about all the disappointments that he had because of the hand. The hand is 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 a real thing that happened, but it also was a barrier for him to be able to do certain things in life. He could not step into certain things because he didn't have the capacity of being able to use both hands. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole aspect that he was living in an environment Going to the synagogue, or what we would say, going to the church today, he was around the church, he was doing the churchy thing, but yet he still had that need. He still had those emotional, physical, relational, financial, 
economical, everything barriers, sexist barriers, male, female barriers. He had all of those things right there. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up that things began to change. Yes, He had already had religious teachers. We see that he was in the synagogue. So teachers and preachers and pastors and evangelists, all of them were there. But still his situation did not change. Mm -hmm. So writing that stuff down is like taking all the clothes or all the clutter out of the house and putting it in the the front room. And then what she does is her technique. She basically says, hey, if you don't get joy when you pick up that material or pick up that item, then it's time to get rid of it. Right. I'm reminded right now of Revelation chapter three, verse 20. It says, behold, I... Jesus, stand at the door and knock. So so he's knocking. And it says, if anyone hears my voice. Well, wait a minute. I say this every time I talk about this verse. He is knocking. The scripture says, if you hear, if, 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 if he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So what Jesus is doing here, he is revealing to us the door and the way that communication happens to the believer, to the New Testament believer. He's not knocking at the door. He's knocking at our heart and we hear his voice or the prompting of his voice that pulls us to open up our heart or open ourselves up that he may come in. He may communicate with us. He may bring information to us that causes us to make a decision or a change. So again, Revelations 3 and 20, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and so watch, this is the transition. There is a hearing, so you have to first hear. Remember what the Gospels or what uh, Matthew said and what Mark said when we just went over. He says, he who has ears to hear. Jesus says this throughout his ministry. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Revelation, he says, he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. That is not, that is a definite promise. It is saying, if you do this, I will do this, period. Nothing to ever be uh, uh, questioned about it again. If you hear Jesus's voice in any situation, circumstance, or anything that you're going through, if you hear the word of Jesus, and he says to you, I got you, or you are going to make it, or let's go to the other side, or what, or as we'll see tonight, what he said to, what the people said to us, he said, don't worry about that. Just only believe. 
If you hear his voice and you hold on, oh my Lord, if you hold on to those words that he said, he will do what he said he was going to do. And it's important for us to understand nobody else has to hear those words. Because if you, when we started in Mark chapter one, when Jesus went to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, the scripture tells us, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the heavens open. Nobody else saw the heavens open that was present. It say he saw the heavens open and then he, heard the voice that said, this is my son and who I am well pleased. So that confirmation doesn't have to be, oh man, Lord, thank you. Oh, that confirmation doesn't have to come from somebody else externally. If you get it inside of you, knowing that what he said and you hold on to that, and once you have that confirmation, you walk in the knowledge that you have. That's what I'm going to say. And now, as we transition into this, I am not going to go through chapter four, which is the next chapter there, but we spent almost three weeks in Mark chapter four, but I want to jump to Mark chapter five. Now, before I jump to Mark chapter five, at the end of Mark chapter four, we see that Jesus basically was telling them, hey, we're gonna go to the other side. So you will notice that he consistently went from one side of the of the Sea of Galilee to the other. He kept going from one place to the other ministering. And now as we pick up in Mark chapter four, I mean, Mark chapter five, where we are, we see him on another adventure where he is coming from the other side of it. This is right after the point where he was in the boat. And remember, the suddenly showed up in Mark four. So suddenly the sea started to rage and everything started to come up. And remember, they came to Jesus and they said, Master, don't you care? We went through all the gospels to break that down, right? So now we see that Jesus has come, that they're in the boat. We see Mark chapter one. So let me read here. I don't know how far I'm going, but I'm just going to go with this. And he says, and they came to the other side of the sea. Notice this now, to a region of the uh, Gerishians. What does the new King James say? What what does it say there? Gerishians. Let me see. Came to the regions of the Gerishians, right? I want you to notice this. This is not the location that Jesus was wanting to go to. If you go back and you read in Mark chapter four, when he went to the other side, he went to a specific place. The winds of the sea threw them off. You'll never notice this unless you go look up in a map like I did. You go look up the region that where they are. So they are now, they were heading to a destination on the other side. 
the suddenly shows up in the water. The seas are bustling and everything goes. Jesus then teaches them through the opportunity that when I say that we're going somewhere, we're going to get to the other side. Though they didn't get to this specific place, they got to the other side. I want you to get this now. Though you may think at times that you are going to a specific place on the other side, you may get to the other side, but be veered off. So sometimes we end up at places we didn't plan on going or end up meeting people we never planned on meeting or end up working at a place where we never thought that we were going to work or be in a, ooh, be in a situation that we never thought that we would ever be there. This boat got to the other side, but they had drifted eastward or drifted from their ideal destination. How do we know this? You're going to find out here as we continue. So, and it's the same way when you start to think about this, they have been blown off course and I myself have been blown off course. I had been directed. I had situations in my life that started one way and I had moved another. And I think about two, and I'm going to share this with you. I know you've probably heard this story over and over again. When I was 18 years old, I was a high school senior. And my mom came to me right after graduation. She congratulated me, said, son, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. But here's what's going to happen. This is the day of graduation at the party. She says, you got until Labor Day to be in college and find a job because your rent's going to be $250 a month. Or you're going to join the military, but you are not going to be living in my house as a man and not paying your way. So that's the first ultimatum that I had. My mom, she says, listen, this is what's going to happen. So what did I do? I joked around. I played around the whole summer until around August, say, 15th or so. I think it was around the middle or the beginning of August. And I realized, man, I got to get a job here. So my sister at the time lived in New Haven, Connecticut. My sister, Jerry, my oldest sister that passed away. So she said, Donald, hey, they're hiring up here. Come on up here and I'll get you a job working at the place that I was working at. So I'm like, okay, mom, I'm going to go live with Jerry for a while. She says she's got room for me there. I go, so I moved to Connecticut. Just hear me out now. I moved to Connecticut. And for three weeks being in Connecticut, I got not one job interview at the place that my sister said, no problem, I'll get you in. So I'm just sitting around the house doing nothing in a foreign place not knowing anybody there all alone. And I'm wondering, what am I doing here? Why am I here? So I end up going back home. I asked, bring me back home. And when I got home, about a week or so, or two weeks after I got home, one of the guys around the corner from my house, his name was Jackie. 
I told him, I said, man, I'm looking for a job. I need a job by Labor Day, which is coming up. Uh, my mom's going to be really upset. And he said, hey, we're hiring at my company for, at the time, this is Dave telling you, and we have an office boy position that's available. And I said, where? He said, in Manhattan. I said, I'll, I'll, what do I got to do? So he said, come down on Monday. So these was the days that you had to go to the location, fill out the application, and put my name on it. So within about a, a I think it was about the weekend right after Labor Day, I had started working in Manhattan. Now, think about this. I had up until this point, I had only been to Manhattan probably five to six times in my life. I am now 18 years old and I am now working, taking the subway train, working in Manhattan every single day in the garment district. I'm an office boy, but I'm around big things. So I get this job and I'm there at this job for two years. And lo and behold, one Friday night. No, actually one Monday morning, I'm hungover on the subway train, half asleep in the cart. And the doors are about to close and a woman walks through the door and startles me and I and I and in the train and I look up and lo and behold there is my wife or Julie at the time not knowing it was my wife so I said all of that to tell you I went from Queens New York to New Haven Connecticut to sit there for 3 weeks and to not be able to get any type of work to come back to New Haven, Connecticut, I mean, to Queens, to find a person in less than two weeks. And a week later, I'm working. Two years later, I'm hungover. Yes, me, hungover on the train to have Julie walk through the door. And I tell my friend, I'm marrying that girl. 35 years later, we are sitting here together in California. And if, if that's not indicative of this story of what Jesus did, he got to the other side, but I want you to see what happens when he gets to the other side. The subject that we're talking about or the context of everything that Jesus is talking about, he is addressing the needs of the people. From, from Mark 1 up until right now, he is addressing the need. Basically, he is, he is literally showing the gospel. So the gospel, in all intensive purposes, came to meet the needs of the people. Luke 4.18 says it this way. Jesus went into the synagogue and it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me too. Here is his job description. To preach the good news, to heal the hurting, to free the captive, to, to delivery of sight or recovery of sight to the blind, and to proclaim the year of liberty or to proclaim that freedom and deliverance is here. 
So now Jesus shows up on the other side. I said all of that to get you here. Now watch what happens here. And this is the opportunity. And they came to the other side, to the region of uh, Gesserin. And as he was getting out of the boat, immediately from the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit went to meet him who lived among the tombs. Now, guys, see, this just sounds very casual. Number one, the man saw Jesus far off coming. And he he changes his position from being in the tomb to going to meet Jesus. So he had already realized that Jesus had what he needed. Amen. That the source of his overall situation was coming to him. Notice he did not go to Jesus. Jesus ended up going to where he was. Now, let me ask a question. Is it right for any person to live in the cemetery? Would you consider a person living in their right mind if they were living in the cemetery? Would you consider them to be in their right mind if they were living in the cemetery? No, right? We wouldn't. But here's where this man was. When you see the word that he was living and roaming amongst the tombs, guys, the tombs in the first century were the grave sites for the people. So he was living secluded. Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) He was living secluded away from the living. They had given up. Well, let me not get ahead of him, but just, just picture this. Now he's living in the cave. He's living in a place where there is nothing there for him. But the one thing is, is when his answer shows up, he addresses it. Watch his posture. Watch what he does when his answer shows up, right? So he says here now, so immediately from the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So it wasn't his spirit. He was being, went to meet him who lived amongst the tombs. And no one, so watch this. This is giving you a description of how tormented this person is. No one was able to bind him any longer. Not even with chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains And the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles had been shattered. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Are you getting this picture? And during every night and day amongst the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stone. So he was in what we would consider today 
on no hope situation. And we know that even today there are people or young people or, or people out there that are cutting themselves based on the emotional torment that they're going through. So this is not new. When you hear about cutting, cutting's not new. It again, anything that we're seeing, there's nothing new underneath the sun. But look what happens here. And verse six gives us a, a deeper description right now. And when the man saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and kneeled down before him. Have you noticed that the people that are coming to Jesus or Jesus approaches, they change their position? The synagogue, the leprate, right? The demon possessed. Here's another one. They change their position. They come out from where they are to meet the answer or to meet Jesus. Got it? Let's keep going. And he says, and when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and kneeled down before him and crying out with a loud voice. This is the man now saying to Jesus, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. What? Mm -hmm. Guys, do you not remember? If you don't, go back to chapter three and chapter two. It was very obvious when the demons saw Jesus, they knew he was the son of God. So the demons that are inside of him, which we're going to see, already recognize that time's up. That's it. Time's up. Deliverance is here. We got no choice. It's over for us. So this is what you're, you're, you're seeing here, right? So look what Jesus does. And it says in the text, it says, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus was already saying, come out. So the moment he said, come out, he knew that when he cast them out, they would be tormented from that point. But look what happened. So this is inside information. And he was asking him. So Jesus asked not the man. It's important. He asked the spirit behind the man. What is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion because we are many. Now you begin to understand why the man was so strong, why it took many people to hold him down, because the spirits that controlled him were many. So he had all of that influence and that power that was working through him in a negative way. But remember, we read that unless a strong man, a stronger man shows up, 
Remember, mm-hmm. we just last week, unless a stronger man shows up, you cannot bind him or take from that house. So they already recognized that Jesus was stronger than them. They knew it. But look what happens. Verse 10. And he was imploring him many times that he would not send them out of the region. So he's talking about Jesus, that he would not cast them out into the region or into the abyss. Now, watch this. A large herd of pigs was there at the at the hill feeding. And they now they're talking to Jesus. I found this interesting, guys. I'm going to take a side note. And I said this last week, but I need to say it again. The evil in the in the world recognized Jesus as being the son of God. But yet the religious leaders of that time did not recognize that he was the son of God. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. They, they were they Jesus was as close as he was to that man. He was that close to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the uh, uh, Heredians, and they still did not recognize that he was God. How is that? Because they did not have eyes to see Mm -hmm. and ears to hear. Because of the hardness of their heart, They had already blinded themselves from any type of reality that did not fit inside of their religious box that they had already created over the 1500 years from the time that the law of Moses went into place until the time that Jesus showed up. So once you become, when you become legalistic or you become so religious or how we say you become so spiritual that you're no earthly good. It is hard for you to see the good in people, even when they're not in their right state. And it is hard when you become legalistic to walk in grace. It's hard for you to offer grace to someone when you think that you you got all this together. When you're just, oh, well, I pay my tithes and, and I pray an hour and, and I don't drink and I don't sin and I don't cuss and I don't do this. When you get to that place where the focus is on what you are doing versus what you are being, you have become legalistic. Now watch this. I did that side note. So let me just come back. Let me bring you back. Let me get you out of this hole. And right here uh, in verse 11, I read it again. And now a large herd of pigs were there on the hill feeding. And they implored him saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter into them. So they're negotiating, right? And he permitted. So Jesus permitted them. And the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs and the herds, about 2,000 pigs. So all of them that was inside the man went into about 2,000 pigs. 
And look what happened. They rushed headlong down the hill, down the slope, into the sea and drowned in the water. Right? So it's important to understand. They drowned in the water. And look what happens here next. Then it says, wait, I just lost my place. And then it says, and there herdsmen fled and reported it in the town and in the countryside. And they came to see what it was that had happened. So the herdsmen, the the ones that owned the pigs, lost their livelihood, but then they became preachers. They went out and proclaimed what had happened to Jesus. Now look at look what happens to the people here. Now watch this. And it says, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Do you need to say anything else? Is there anything else that needs to be said when a man is truly delivered by Jesus? What can be said when a man or a woman or a person is truly delivered and redeemed by Jesus? And look at their reaction. And they said, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the one who had the legion and they were afraid. They were afraid. I just want this to sink in. They weren't, watch this now. They weren't cheerful. They were afraid. So fear lifted itself up when this man was delivered. But look what happens here now. And it says, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs. And they began to urge Jesus to depart from their region. Now, here's what I want you to see. If you read the other Gospels, they wanted Jesus to leave because Jesus was messing with their economic status. He was messing with their money. Are you going to say that, Donald? Yes, I am. So there was a point where the gospel was there to deliver people. But the status of the, the, the religious order of that time or the environment, the, the, the atmosphere around it was so focused on economics that they did not care for the people. So I'm going to tell you this, one of the true authentic understandings of the gospel is the gospel comes to meet the needs of the people. It does not come to take from the people. 
The gospel comes to give to the people, give them hope, give them healing, give them deliverance, give them in one simple word, Jesus. That is the gospel. Now, so they asked him and they began to urge him, please depart, get get out, please leave this region, not this place, leave the region. Because again, it wasn't the place that he was set forth to go to, but leave where he was. Now look what Jesus did. And he says, and he was getting into the boat. And look at this. And the man who had been demon possessed began to implore Jesus that he could go with him. He began to say, listen, you have turned my life right side up. I've been living in this cage, in these tombs, isolated, tormented, cutting myself, shackled in chains, broke the chains, got more chains on me. I've been so tormented all my life. And in this one, uh, in this one incident with you, you have changed my life. Hallelujah. And as a result of you changing my life, Jesus, I want to go with you. Oh, yeah. I want, look look what the man's saying here. Basically, the man is saying, I'm going all in with you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm putting all my chips on the table and I'm going with you. But Mm -hmm. I want you to see what Jesus did. And it says here in verse 19, and and he, Jesus, did not permit the man, did not permit him. He said, no, you you cannot come. Mm -hmm. But look what Jesus did. But he said to him, go to your home, to your people, and tell them all that the Lord had done. I want you to understand this because when Jesus delivers a person, the first thing that people want to do is to come out of the place that they've been delivered from. But if you come out of that place and you leave that place in your delivered state, you can no longer witness to the people that are still in that place. The power is when you are delivered. And if you are truly delivered, you can be in that place and now use the thing that actually uh, tormented or the thing that actually had you captive or had him captive. He now uses that as what I would call bait or 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 what is it or conversation to draw people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we all have situations and circumstances that we have been delivered from. And because we have been delivered, we don't necessarily want to talk about them things anymore. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, talk about it. Let people know what the Lord has done for you. And look what happens here. And verse 19, I'm going to read it again. And it says, 
And he did not permit him, but said to him, go to your home. Go to your home, to your people. Notice, to your people, your home and to your people, and tell them all that the Lord had done for you. And that he, watch this now, and that he had mercy on you. Why did he say that? Because the religious people or the people in that area, they did not have mercy on him. They cast him away in the tombs and chained him up. They had given up on him. Catch that now. In verse 20, look what it says. And he went away and began to proclaim in, in, um, in the Diopolis all that Jesus had done for him. And they were all astonished. Or if you read a little bit further, they were all became or they all became believers. They grew in their faith of what Jesus was able to do. So by the words and the testimonies of one person in this region, the word of Jesus spread to all that region. And we see it. He went to another place and he, remember when he healed the leopard, he left, right? And he told the leopard to go to the priest and do what you needed to get done. The leopard did not do that. He went out and he started to proclaim. And then what does it say now? The news of what Jesus did spread in that area that the gospel Jesus could no longer teach in that area because so many people came in there. So what is all this saying about tonight? What is Jesus saying to us? What is he saying to you? I'm going to go back. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens their heart and lets me in, I will come and dine with them. I will, it says, I will sup with them and they with me. This is another example of the good news that Jesus proclaims in our New Testament blessings, that Jesus comes to us to restore, to heal anything that is tormented, anything that is withered or or shriveled up, anything that is not functioning in its right place, that is causing us to not live that authentic life that we are to live in Christ. He is willing and he wants to address it. So the question is, are you willing to change your position and run out to Jesus to meet your answer?
Thank you for listening to this episode of Daily Living for Christ, where we have one purpose, and that's to partner with you on your daily walk with Christ. Before you go, I have two questions I want to throw out to you. First, what insights did you gain from this episode? And number two, how will you apply those new insights in your daily walk with Christ? Remember, awareness leads to choice and choice leads to a decision. There's 86,400 moments in a day. 86,400 moments in a day. Let today be the day that you increase by one more moment with Christ. Until next time, I'm out.